0: Welcome to the Fairview Church podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Man, am I you to remain standing? In honor of reading God's word, and if you're new, thank you for being with us this morning. One of the things that we do is we read our passage of scripture that I'll be preaching through together, and so I'd invite you, no pressure, but if you'd like to read along with me, with me, with us, uh, the words will be on the screen. Isaiah 32, verses 1 through 20. Indeed, a king will reign righteously, and rulers will rule justly. Each will be like a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the rain, like flowing streams in a dry land, in the shade of a massive rock in arid land. Then the eyes of those who see will not be closed, and the ears of those who hear will listen. The reckless mind will gain knowledge, and the stammering tongue will speak clearly and fluently a fool will no longer be called a noble nor a scoundrel said to be important for a fool speaks foolishness and his mind plots iniquity. He lives in a godless way and speaks falsely about the Lord. He leaves the hungry empty and deprives the thirsty of drink. The scoundrel's weapons are destructive. He hatches plots to destroy the needy with lies Even when the poor person says what is right. But a noble person plans noble things. He stands up for noble causes. Stand up, you complacent women. Listen to me. Pay attention to what I say, you overconfident daughters. In a little more than a year, you overconfident ones will shudder, for the grapes will fail and the harvest will not come. Shudder, you complacent ones. Tremble, you overconfident ones. Strip yourselves bare and put sackcloth around your waists. Beat your breasts in mourning for the delightful fields and the fruitful vines. For the ground of my people growing thorns and briars. Indeed, for every joyous house in the jubilant city. For the palace will be deserted, the busy city abandoned. The hill and the watchtower will become barren places forever. The joy of wild donkeys... And a pasture for flocks until the spirit from on high is poured out on us. Then the desert will become an orchard and the orchard will seem like a forest. Then justice will inhabit the wilderness and righteousness will dwell in the orchard. The result of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quiet confidence forever. Then my people will dwell in a peaceful place in safe and secure dwellings. But hail will level the forest and the city will sink into the depths. You will be happy as you sow seeds beside abundant water and as you let oxen and donkeys range freely. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. invite you to be seated. As we get started in our text, I want to ask everyone to do something that I think everyone here can do. And that is to just take a big inhale. Now slowly exhale. Do it again. Now let it out. Okay. When you did that, you were making a sound. And... I don't know if you have thought about this. Many have written about this and considered this. But when you breathe in, there's a sound to that. And if you kind of close your lips as you breathe out, there's a sound to that. And the sound is very similar to the name of God in Hebrew, Yahweh. So if you think about, there's kind of a sound of the Yah coming in and then way coming out. Now, this is not. In the Bible, specifically, so I don't have a verse for this, but it's been something for me that's been a helpful reminder that Yahweh, God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the God who provides us with life and breath and all that we have. And even those who their whole life will never speak the name of God or in any way acknowledge that. I think there's this, this idea of the fact that every breath actually is this acknowledgement of his goodness and his provision of life. Now, as we think about flourishing, we're looking in the scriptures at God's design for us, his good design for us as his people and for creation. And breath is a significant part of that because flourishing is tied with life. And without breath, you don't have life. And there are in the Old Testament, these examples of the breath of God, of the Ruach, the spirit of God is what breathes out and is what gives life to creation. It's what gives life to people. In fact, the Jewish culture had this idea that when you are born, God breathes breath into you. And when you die, you give that breath back. There is this need for the breath of life, and there is this provision of life, again, that comes only through God, and that the necessity of that, of that receiving from God, and then everything that we have ultimately being an expression of giving back to Him, is at the heart of what it means to flourish. Now, last week, we looked predominantly at one Hebrew word that's tied to flourishing. If you are here... What was the Hebrew word we mostly looked at? Starts with the S-H. Shalom. Thank you. Awesome. So, shalom. And when we hear the word shalom, we usually have an English word we tie to that. What is that? Peace. But what we saw is that the Hebrew term shalom in the scriptures is more than just peace or like a ceasefire. It's this idea of wholeness, of fullness. And again, of flourishing. Now, at the heart of Shalom, the way that God created us as people, humanity, the way he created all of the world and the animals and everything that exists is at the heart tied to this vision of Shalom. And so we have a a drawing here, a, a visual of these four relationships that in order for us to experience Shalom, we have to have Right relationships in four directions. And so upward, we have a right relationship with God. Inward, we have a right relationship with self and our body and our identity and all these ways. Downward, we have a right relationship with creation, the natural world around us. And then in our relationships with others. When all of these relationships are right and all of these relationships are healthy then we experience the fullness of what God designed us for, of flourishing. But we saw that in our world today, this is not what life looks like. That vision of shalom that we see in the Garden of Eden, when all of these relationships were right, when everything is put in place perfectly, is not what represents how we experience life today. We know, as we saw, that something has gone wrong. We know that something has, has changed and that things now are not the way they're supposed to be. And so why is that? Well, this week, if you were here last week, we actually covered the second half of this chapter in Isaiah. This week, we're going to go back and cover the first half and see how it all fits together. Uh, but I want us to see first in this text from Isaiah, the vision of righteousness, And this is God's good creation. Indeed, verse 1 says, a king will reign righteously, and rulers will rule justly. Now, in the backdrop of Isaiah, what you are going to see is examples of kings that are not righteous. They're bad, and because of that, there's corruption and destruction, and so Isaiah, in this chapter, is giving a contrast of a king who is righteous. And this is a theme throughout Isaiah's uh, letter and his, his prophecies. But I want us to think about those two words. And again, at the beginning of this series, we're looking into the Hebrew terms and considering what they mean. The, the first term that we see there, a king will reign in righteously, is from the term Zedekah. Just give that a shot. Zedekah, okay. Righteous. And what this means, again, is rightly aligned, but it's, but it's a way that is right. And so some of these terms are simpler than we think about. But that's, at the heart, what it means is to live in a way that is right. And when you have a king that is righteous... He relates rightly, he handles his responsibilities and his power and authority rightly, he treats other, others rightly, you, you have this experience of righteousness. The other word that we're going to consider is the Hebrew word mishpat, give that one a shot, mishpat, and that is the term that translate justice. Now when we think about the term justice, what do we typically think about? punishment. Am I here? There we go. We think about the justice system. And when we typically think about that, it's some type of punishment. And that is a component of what justice means, but it means much more than that. What it means is giving people what they are rightly due. So that's justice giving people what they are rightly do. And so if you have, as we talked about in our criminal system, if you have someone who's a criminal, then what they are rightly do involves punishment. But if you have someone who does right, someone who contributes positively, uh, there is also this sense of recognition and um, and acknowledgement in a positive way of what has taken place. And so this is this is the way So we think about this, a righteous king does what is right, and they oversee a reign, which involves other rulers, so these people under them, where people give what is rightly due each person. Is this what our system and government looks like today? Do we see always from the top the right decisions being made from a standpoint of, God's shalom handed down through justice, always being carried out in the decisions and the the ways in which our government operates. No, this is not the case. I, I've thought I'd get a lot more emotion out of that one, but I didn't. There is clearly an acknowledgement that this is this is not how things are, and the truth is. Under any rule and reign across history of humanity there is there is not this consistent righteousness and justice and and we see this and and these are these are ways in which um, we are not reflecting the way God has designed us as humanity and as a culture together as a society to work we 're not rightly aligned but when that is the case in, in this vision. Again, this prophetic vision that Isaiah is getting. The result is for the people under that rain security. And this is what we looked at again last week is this security, this full security. And Isaiah paints a picture of this with natural examples. He says each will be like a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the rain, like flowing streams in a dry land in the shade of a massive rock in an arid land. Now, how many of you all got hail on Thursday? That was crazy, wasn't it? Like out of nowhere, I look out my window, and there's just this wall, and then you start hearing it, and I mean, it is just nuts. And so we went outside, and I collected it. How many of you all, when you have a storm like that, you have fear that kind of comes up? Maybe anybody who was affected, I talked to some people, the first service, who their house got hit over in Stonebridge with the tornado. And we have some, some folks who had that. And when you have those experiences with storms at one time, in the future, whenever there's a storm, you feel insecure, right? Storms show us and remind us how powerless we are. You can't stop the effects of, of, natural uh, disasters and the ways in which this comes about. But what we see is that the righteous king ruling justly over these other rules provide a context where everyone can go to sleep and rest securely. There is this protection even from the elements. There's protection from anything that would take away your life. There's a protection from anything that would take away your security. And this is, here's what I want to see. This is God's design. This is how creation at the beginning was put in place. And this is the the flourishing, the wholeness, the fullness, the security under a ruler who God sets at the top where everything is rightly aligned. Now, again, we know that this is not the case we don't experience this security we experience uh, all of the issues and injustices and fears and uh, all of the realities that come that result from the fact that creation is not the way god intended it to be at the beginning and so we're going to why is this well we're going to see the foolishness of rejection the foolishness of rejection and foolishness in in proverbs is consistently tied with wickedness. We talked about this a little bit last week, that a person who sees reality rightly, a person who sees reality the way that God designed it and intended, when they see reality rightly and they act according to that, that is wisdom. And that is tied with righteousness, right? Wisdom and righteousness are tied together. On the flip side... When you reject God's design, the way reality actually exists, the way God's made it, that is foolishness and it's also wickedness. And so wisdom is tied very much with righteousness and foolishness is tied with wickedness. And this is what we see. It, there is a, a foolish person who plots iniquity, which is wrong. He lives in a godless way. He doesn't acknowledge God overseeing him and directing him. He speaks falsely. So this is deception. He leaves the hungry empty and deprives the thirsty of drink. This is a lack of justice. And so this is a person who does not reflect God's design. He does not live under God's rule. And therefore he does not rightly reflect God as an image bearer. We're all fundamentally designed to reflect God rightly as image bearers. But what we see here is the opposite of that the scoundrel's weapons are destructive. He hatches plots to destroy the needy with lies, even when the poor person says what is right. So this clear justice that should be carried out of caring for a need, the exact opposite takes place. He takes advantage of someone in this position. And this is, this is where we see that sin and all that is tied with it is the, the shattering of shalom. It's the vandalism of shalom as God intended it. And it is fundamentally anti-creation. It's anti-creation. And Lewis, C.S. Lewis talks about this at all. He says that good exists, but evil doesn't really exist. Evil only exists as a leech to the good. And I love that imagery. That, that really wickedness, evil, all that, that, that we see that represents this, it's it's not something that it has any substance as itself. It just is the opposite of the good design that God created. And so, this is where we have to consider the difference between creation and the world. And, and this is important for scripture. Because the earth is something God created. The world is something humans created. This is throughout scripture. The earth... And create, it's God's creation. And it is, God says over and over, it is what? It's good. Right? Creation at its core is good. Any religion or system that would tell you otherwise is is missing the theme of scripture. But the world is something not that God creates, but that humanity creates. And it is bad. It is the opposite. It is anti-creation. It is a system that operates in rebellion against God's good design. And so, the, 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 the world, right, is, is this representation of, of a system of sin. It's a system that is, that is destructive, and it is in, an intrusion, right? It's a leech, it's a virus, whatever you want to call it, into the goodness of God's creation. And, the world, the scripture tells us, will not last forever everything that's tied with the world, everything that's part of this system, right, the cough that he's got right now, all of that, all of these things that come out, right, that is going to pass away. Does that make sense? So this is important because when you look at the world out there, we need to see the goodness because God designed it good and there's beauty and, I mean, this incredible representation of his goodness and his love and we need to see that, right, because What would, what would point us away from that would lead to this pessimism? That again, it's not representative of who God's created to be. Yet we see that over top of what always, what's underneath, let's say the base layer of creation, is the world, and it is again, it is against God's good design for creation, and it is not going to last. It will pass away, and this is the as we think about what creation. And the goodness of God's design means versus the world that humanity has created. At the core, it's the difference between taking and receiving. And I've talked about this in the past, but I think it's so crucial to understand this, to understand the narrative of Scripture. The world, the system that is anti-God, is a system that is tied to taking and keeping for yourself. Creation that God designed is tied to receiving and giving. So I wanted us to say, the world takes. Can you say that? The world takes, right? That's the way the world operates. The kingdom of God receives and gives. Give that a shot. The kingdom of God receives and gives. This is at the heart of these two ways that our Bible lays out. And we see that in the beginning, God created humanity to simply receive life. To receive the fruit of the tree of life and all of the plants that God had created. He, he designed humanity to come before him and to receive. But because of the deception of the serpent, which was at the core, we looked at this last week, that you cannot trust God To give. You can't trust his goodness. You can't trust his love. And so because of that, you need to take for yourself. And that language of taking is what Eve does. And it destroys the flourishing. It destroys the shalom. Everything that's there. And it is represented. We saw this when we went through the life of Abraham. The exact same language. I mean, this is the exact same Hebrew. From what Eve does with the tree and the fruit is what Abraham does with Hagar, the, ser- the servant that, that Sarah presents to him. He, instead of trusting God to provide the promised son his way, what does he do? He takes for himself. He trusts in his own way, and it leads to destruction and death, just like it always does. And we see this over and over. God tells Israel, you don't want a king, but they insist. And so do you know what it says? They took for themselves a king. This is this consistent theme. When we take, we are cutting ourselves off from the flow of life. Right? And because God is a Trinitarian God, he's Father, Son, Spirit, he is this eternal existence of self-giving. And life, when we are open to receive from God... We receive life, and then we are meant to go and to give out of what God has given to us. This is the system of life. And again, we talked about how water works this way. The only water that is dead is a place in Israel. It's the Dead Sea because water comes in, but it doesn't go out. There's all these examples of this. But when we close ourselves, we focus on ourselves, we turn inward, we take for ourselves. We are cutting ourselves off from the system of life. The way that God designed us to live The way that ultimately flourishing happens. And this is, this is at the core what is, what is taking place here. And, and the representation we say for the ground of my people growing thorns and briars. What does that remind you of from Genesis early on? The curse. Exactly. This is the curse. Thorns and briars. If you are a gardener or if you have a plant, what do they, do they give fruit? Do they give life? They don't. What do they do? to your nutrients and whatever you put in, in the water and the soil. They take, they don't give life, they simply take. And this is this representation we see of the curse. And this is what Isaiah is picking up on. He's expecting people to know the Hebrew scriptures, that this is this curse. The curse is demonstrate. it's not, this is, and I think this is so big. This is not just about what's in the Bible. It's about what's out there. Because what we see in this vision of reality, we find reflected out there. It all coincides. This is creation, right? Not the world. This is creation. This is how things actually work. And this is what happens when we have this turning away from this openness to receive from God, and then this willingness to give freely out of that to this taking for ourselves. And we see the injustice from the leaders down and the way that this is, again, it's anti-life. It just is. It's, 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 it's turning away from the system, the flow of life. And that fundamentally, when you turn away from the flow of life, what do you get? Death. Like, that's it. And this is this is how taking, again, works in all of these ways. Finally, we're going to see the hope of restoration. Until the spirit from on high is poured out on us. Then the desert will become an orchard. And the orchid, orchard will seem like a forest. Then justice will inhabit the wilderness, and righteousness will dwell in the orchard. So what's happening here is there's this acknowledgement that humanity cannot fix the problem. There's this dryness of the desert, which is death that doesn't give life. There's all of these examples. There's thorns. there's, There's the curse that's there. And the only hope is that God's spirit from on high, right, outside of the system of taking and our ability to fix, God has to do this, right? That's what he's saying. In the spirit of God, and in Genesis, we see the spirit of God hovering over what? The waters. And this is what's going to happen again. The spirit of God that hovered over the waters is going to come once again to a context of death and, and give the waters of life. And these imagery of this this life and this flourishing out of what was dead and dry is going to bring this this reviving this restoring of what God created. But notice that Nate, this is important when the prophet the Hebrew prophets talk about this stuff. They don't disconnect humanity from creation, and this is big because sometimes we read through a lens that just talks about you know people and kind of our inner life, and it. Cuts us off from what what the prophets do is they say when there 's a lack of justice and righteousness, the plants suffer. You see that? they see everything holistically they see that when you reject god 's ways at all of these levels it, it it flows all the way down right and all the way up, and so because of this this restoration there's there 's not just going to be flourishing naturally but there 's going to be righteousness there 's going to be justice right there 's going to be this the pieces being put together, the way that they were intended from the beginning. And this is what we see in the result of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quiet confidence forever. Then my people will dwell in a peaceful place and safe and secure dwellings. Now let me ask you, does this look like any environment in any government, in any country, or in any system where people Experience this flourishing and they're completely secure at all times. Where people can lay their head down at night and have no worries about anything or anyone harming them. No. Because we're, all of us in all cultures and all creations, surrounded by taking. And that's, that's the threat that's there. This is something that is only fully going to be fulfilled when the true righteous king returns. And just to get it out there. Who's that? Jesus. He's the king of righteousness. He's the one king. Who will put completely represent the rule of God. The righteous rule of God. Establish justice. And, and restore creation itself. Make things. The way that God intended to make all things new is the language. And so this is what we have to see to to piece all of this together. Our vision of the gospel, and and some of you all have, have probably heard this before, but I think it's really important as we move into this series. Our vision of the gospel has to include creation. Because the end of this is a new heavens and a new earth, right? That's where this is headed. That's where the ship's moving. Is God restoring and making new all things? And and in this way, we have to consider the gospel along these lines. And so the, the four stages of this are creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And we're going to talk about this more. But this is, all of this is connected together. In creation, God gives. God gives life. He gives a spouse. He gives fruit. He gives everything that's necessary for flourishing. In fall, we take and break. Right? That's what the fall is. We take for ourselves and therefore we break the good creation God has put in place. The world begins to exist. In redemption, does God give up on us because we take and break? No, he comes after us, he continues to give, and he continues to sustain, and and he ultimately God gives through his son. He sends his son, Jesus. And Jesus, the only time that we see God taking rather than simply giving and receiving is on the cross. And it's when Jesus on the cross takes. Our sin. He takes the curse. He takes our brokenness into Himself so that He can give us life. He can give us forgiveness. He can give us reconciliation with God. Do we see this? And so, God gives in creation. We take and break in the fall. Ultimately, in redemption, God gives. His son, he takes our sin. And then, and, and so we see this, but this is more than just our sin. In Colossians 1, 19 to 20, we looked at this last week. We read this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile what? Everything to himself. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. Shed on the cross. So what Jesus is doing in the cross is reconciling more than just sinful people with a holy God. There is this this cosmic element of, of creation itself, right? That's being reconciled with God. And then the final step is restoration, when God will fully and finally make all things new. And we read this in Ephesians one nine, the passage we we read earlier. Uh, he made known to us the mystery of His will. According to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time. This is God's plan, the ultimate vision. To bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. So this is the vision. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And to get out of the system of the world that is oriented around taking and keeping for yourself. We are called to a different way the way of the kingdom of God, of receiving. And this is what we do in communion. In communion, we take a break from the world. We move away from the system of taking and keeping that we're in all of the time. And we turn and we simply receive from Christ. And so if we have uh, our deacons who are here, if if you didn't get the elements when you came in, but you would like to receive... Communion, if you just raise your hand up, they will come around and make sure that you've got the elements. So so just just raise your hands up. But here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing in communion is first, we are repenting. And we looked at this last week. We're turning away from places in our life where we've been trying to take for ourselves. So I go, where in my life have I been living along the system of the world? I've been trying to take for my selfishness, right? I've been focused on myself, trying to take for myself. Trying to even accomplish things in, in God's eyes on my own, my own efforts. And what we do where we see those things in our life, that, that's cancer, that's the world, that's, that's death and destruction. And so we say, I, want, I don't want that in me. And so we repent, which is, again, it's turning back. I'm admitting this is present in my life and I'm turning away from it and turning back. And we have the hope, the promise, that when we do that, when we acknowledge that sin in our lives, when we confess of our sins and we come with open arms and open hands, what does he do? He gives. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that's what we do. We repent. But then the the second thing uh, that we do is that we receive. Again, we receive and For the sake of time, let's say that we're in, in any of these ways that we're sinning, that sins in our life. We're searching for something that only God can provide. Okay. And so part of this process is, is God, I want to receive from you what I'm actually looking for in whatever this is. Ultimately life through Christ. And so we have this, this invitation to receive. And so I'm going to take you just a moment, just, just in your own seat where you are, to ask God, God, show me where I need to repent of living in this system of taking of the world of sin. Acknowledge that, confess that, and then, and God, I want to receive, ultimately, life and forgiveness and peace from you. And so just invite you just to take a moment to prepare our hearts before we take communion. Father, we thank you that you are the God who gives. You give life. Because we have sinned against you, we've rebelled against you, we've tried to take it for ourselves. Through Jesus, you offer us forgiveness, reconciliation. If there's anyone here who's never trusted in Jesus, we pray that your spirit would lead them to that step to find life, new and eternal life through him through his death and resurrection. But Lord, we thank you now that you give us these elements that are these embodiments of the new life that you've provided us in Christ. So we pray now that your spirit would be at work even as we take these, that you would bless these elements and allow them to be an experience of of the reception of your grace through Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ broken for you. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ shed for you. And then we're reminded, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is coming back. Things won't always be this way. He will make all things new and all things right. And so in light of that hope that we have, I invite you to stand and one more time To join me in this confession that will be on the screens of this truth of the gospel. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. If you need prayer for anything, the prayer room is open as we respond in song. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.